0: This podcast, including any related materials, such as show notes, links, and supportive materials, is provided by Metagenics Institute, the educational arm of Metagenics, Inc., for general informational and educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute medical advice and should not be considered a substitute for discussions between individuals and their healthcare providers. The podcast presenters' views are entirely their own and do not represent the views of Metagenics Institute, Metagenics, or any of their research partners and collaborators, collectively referred to as affiliates. Metagenics Institute and its affiliates do not endorse or recommend any specific healthcare providers, products, or other items or services that may be discussed or mentioned in this podcast. Podcast participants may receive compensation from Metagenics Institute and or its affiliates. Metagenics products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We are in the midst of a women's health
1: crisis. Our next guests, Dr. Leslie Stone and her daughter, nutritionist
2: Emily Rydbaum, are going to explain how we got here and what we might do about it. We have the capacity and the ability to look at the data and say, okay, how can we, with a 10,000 foot, 360 degree view, look at each person who presents with these vulnerabilities and change their outcomes by how we manage that pregnancy time period that is no longer, that we don't accept this concept that there's nothing to be done anymore. Tune in to get into the details of nutrient depletion
1: and how that can be passed on across generations and which specific nutrients are proven to make a difference in the health of women from preconception To birth. Emily and Leslie, so delighted to be with you today. So I just want to say for a listener that um, we're at a hotel in Texas. Mm -hmm. I can hear the housekeeping crew kind of working (laughs) outside the door and opening doors and talking. And so there's going to be a little background noise here. It's okay. okay. We're just going to keep going. I wanna talk about the crisis we have in women's health. I feel like we're in a place right now where we have never been before. And what I love is that you two are offering a solution that's evidence-based, that cuts through so much of the noise, and that sets us up to have the best possible life. Mm. And so I wanna get into the details, but first I wanna start with some of the statistics that tell this story, mm. what are they? So preterm birth is
3: one of the biggest drivers of, of health compromise um, in our developing children and even as adults. Even in the US here, we have um, in Mississippi, we're at 13% of, of all pregnancies are delivered um, early and, and there's only one higher place in the globe mm-hmm. and that's in Malawi. That's, that's appalling.
2: It's absolutely appalling. appalling. Yeah. That's exactly right.
1: So, so let's take this for a moment. Preterm birth, mm-hmm. how do you define it? There's a gradation to this, but um,
3: preterm birth would be those that are 36 weeks or below. Late preterm births would be 37 and below, and the very early preterm births are those that are at 32 and mm-hmm. below. But anyway, that, that um, all of these preterm births are associated with distinct systems deficiencies that um, show up in the neonate, in the child, and
1: remarkably and frighteningly as an adult. Mm-hmm. So this, this is such a huge piece to understand. And I think overall in the U.S., it's something like 9.6% of births mm-hmm. are preterm. Exactly. So right. 1 in 10 mm-hmm. is preterm. Mm-hmm. I just had a beloved niece that was born in 31 weeks. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, you know, after delivering 5,000 babies over the course of my career, I know mm-hmm. you've delivered mm-hmm. a ton of babies yourself. Mm-hmm. How many
2: have you delivered? Exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. 5,000. So I've delivered a ton of babies, um, and I've I've also witnessed their course, you know, after being born at 24 weeks or 25 weeks or 28 weeks, 31 weeks, there's quite a bit of morbidity that's associated with preterm birth, as well as mortality. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing to me, when I put on my OBGYN hat, is that
2: you have discerned some of the ways that we can prevent this. I think it's important to say that As staggering as these statistics are and as staggering as these statistics are applied even in our own well-developed, affluent country, there is a generational impact to that outcome that we have to talk about. If you are a baby who is a female, a daughter, being born preterm, then you as a mother going into your own pregnancy are more likely to deliver preterm because you were a preterm baby. And if you then bear a daughter that is preterm, then they are more likely to bear a preterm baby. And that generational impact is profound. And the stopgap here that we have found and that the data is showing that we can so profoundly impact is that we can write that trajectory with a full-term birth within that generational line. Exactly.
1: So let me me repeat some of this, because what you're talking about is this transgenerational effect yeah. of preterm birth yes so it's not just isolated to my niece no she's actually at risk when she has a baby she's at risk so this is such an important piece that we that we understand as clinicians how to correct some of these maybe nutrient deficiencies mm-hmm. as well as other mm-hmm. issues but also for our listener mm-hmm to understand that there's things you can do. There's D- things that, yes, that you can do. Yes. And I want them to feel empowered yes. around this too. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I love about your Instagram is that you're always bringing in the science. Yeah, And so you <laughs> mentioned a New England Journal of Medicine article from yeah. 2017. Yeah, Six gene regions yeah. associated with preterm birth through maternal effect, mm-hmm. blood glucose issues, mm-hmm. as well as implantation. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I, I just want to say that this is not just what you've found over the course of your careers and with filling nutrient gaps. That's right. It's very well proven in the literature.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's in the individual nature that we address each woman that presents and that we we have the capacity and the ability to look at the data and say, okay, how can we, with a 10,000 foot, 360 degree view, look at each person who presents with these vulnerabilities and change their outcomes by how we manage that pregnancy time period that is no longer that we don't accept this concept that there's nothing to be done anymore. You know, even just in in our work together, I know Leslie and I have identified very specific nutrients that have profound impact on just this one single preterm birth outcome. Inositol, vitamin D, Omega 3 fatty acids, an impressive kudos Zinc. study. Zinc. I mean, and then that, what is, what is, um empowering about this is that there seems to be redundancy in these nutrients and their function, that they return a woman to a, to a place of function that doesn't only impact preterm birth, but it impacts whether or not they have vulnerability for pregnancy-induced hypertension or gestational diabetes. So there's or, l-
1: these lovely downstream effects beyond right. just preterm birth. Yes. So I want I want to get to the solutions in some detail in right. a moment. Right. I just want to make sure we're casting a broad net Okay. Because there's some people, I think, who are listening and thinking, well, oh, there's no preterm birth in my family. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to yeah. worry about this. Let's go broader. So as I think back over the course of my career, mm-hmm. I think about what are the vulnerabilities that maybe I haven't paid attention to, that I should be paying attention to with my patients? Especially, what are the iatrogenic Vulnerabilities. So yes, there's the gene environment interaction Mm -hmm. that I need to be thinking about, but there's also all the birth control pill prescriptions Mm -hmm. that I've written Mm -hmm. and the micronutrient depletion that goes with that. There's the metformin that Mm -hmm. I prescribe for my patients with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. So can we talk about that for a moment? What are some of those micronutrient deficiencies we can kind of riff together? and, And I, you know, I think about, especially that woman who goes on the birth control pill,
2: like Early. I did Early. at 16. Yes, mm-hmm. in
1: adolescence. And not always for contraception. It might right. be, oh, your periods are a little painful. Mm-hmm. Instead of going for the omega 3s, which are proven in randomized trials mm-hmm. to reduce dysmenorrhea, they go for the birth control pill or for acne, acne or right. to regulate their cycle. And this is, I think, such, it's probably in my mind, the number one endocrine disruptor. Mm-hmm. But that's, in some ways, kind of the least of the problem. So yeah. what happens it's with birth control pills? What are what are some of the nutrient gaps? They are nutrient depleters. That's mm-hmm.
3: exactly right. So the metabolism itself requires more B vitamins. So we have the riboflavin. We have the folic acid. We have the B6, B6, B6 B12,
2: 12, B12, zinc, B12. vitamin C, So it's
1: B2. <laughs> B2, B6, <laughs> folate, folate B12. B12 zinc magnesium zinc vitamin C selenium selenium, 2. selenium. vitamin, vitamin e. C vitamin mm. E mm-hmm. uh-huh. I think a lot of women have no idea that they're depleted in these
3: and probably most powerfully of all is that um, we find that there's an 80% others have found that there's an 80% depletion in tryptophan mm-hmm. precursor for
2: serotonin for melatonin for sleep for mood for mood <laughs> right 80% and women who use birth contraceptives, after the six-month time period, they have an 80% altered tryptophan metabolism, meaning lower tryptophan metabolism. Six so months. this is
1: one of the most important pathways in the body yes. for Atrom- homeostasis, yes. Yes. for mood, yes. for sleep, yes. for these factors that really drive what we're interested in, mm-hmm. make us who we are, able to live out our mission and yeah. our purpose. And I, I feel like... You know, I I have so many patients who've had dysphoria. They've had mood issues as a result of going on the pill. And don't even get me started about the elevated sex hormone binding globulin. Exactly. How women get robbed (laughs) of testosterone and (laughs) agency and confidence. Like, that's another podcast, probably. But I I think this is so important. And maybe we could talk about metformin for a moment. I've got a list of some of the nutrient gaps, Mm -hmm. which are very similar. Mm -hmm. So with metformin... 7% reduction in folate, Mm. 14% reduction in B12, Mm. increased homocysteine as a result, depletion of CoQ10, Mm. not in everybody, but in people who have that vulnerability. So we have these prescriptions that we are handing out as Western physicians. Mm. I was never taught to give full informed consent to my patients with a list of these
2: micronutrient depletions, and yet we've known about them.
1: For yeah, a long time. A long time.
2: 20, 30 years? Yeah, 1980. There's, there's a big data mine. That, and that list primarily comes from a 1980 data. Fast forward to the point where that adolescent who has been taking birth control pills and has dysphoria can't sleep. What often is the next prescribed? Antidepressant. Exactly. That's exactly. right. And then fast forward again and say, now I want to get pregnant. Think about the mass nutrient depletion, the altered... Neurotransmitter pathway metabolism, and then you have a woman who's compromised simply because there was a decision made at 15 or 16 that didn't look at the whole picture. So this is
1: exactly the net I wanted to cast. I think this is this affects so many women, and I would say you know probably 80% of our audience. Leslie, did you want to add to that? I do, and that is a, it. May be drawing it too far out, but really it comes down
3: to these metabolisms that are sitting at the center that these nutrients are driving. Mm -hmm. And the one I want to focus on is the one, is one that is um, supported by a gene called MTHFR that is affected in about 48% of our US population. That makes it more difficult for that folic acid actually to be effective, even if we gave it to them. Mm -hmm. And so this recognition that we really also need to be thinking downstream in informing the people who are going to be think who are in this reproductive age, in this just developmental age of, of thinking about good health, what we need to think about is is even more influenced perhaps by this gene effect. That we have, that yes. we should need to know about. We need to be informed about that piece as well. Just as we don't want to neglect the information we had about nutrient deficiencies provoked by OCS, we also want to be informed personally, on a you know, provider or no provider, personally that um, that these effects can be you and that we can deal with them.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is In part fact, of the, this is part of the path of empowerment. I think that's is, exactly that's it. right. Is yeah. to understand that it's not just nutrient depletions from these medications. It's also the Personal. way that the genes are interacting yeah. with some of these nutrient depletions, yeah. and even the genes on their own just interacting with Western lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now that we have a wide net, say we've got a 27-year-old woman who is thinking about getting pregnant in three to six months, what do you tell her? Hmm. What are the top
2: two to three things? So can I actually cast an even wider net before I answer that question? Because there is a trend that is rapidly changing the construct of how we manage health. By 2030 in the United States, 85% of the population will be overweight or obese. And so it's not just this 27-year-old woman wants to become pregnant, we have to consider that more than likely she has a vulnerability just presenting, living, and breathing in her own body every day. Yes. Right? And then the toxic burden that comes just from that altered body composition. Right. This is so important because, yeah.
1: you know, I was taught when I went through my medical education that polycystic ovarian syndrome was the main metabolic thing I needed to be concerned about. It was the number one cause of infertility among reproductive age women mm-hmm. and that it was only affecting 10% of the population. Mm-hmm. Then I got into practice and I thought, 10%? What are you talking about? This more yeah. like 30 to 50%. Right. Like I have so many more patients who struggle with this. Mm-hmm. With metabolic dysfunction, mm-hmm. whether it meets criteria for polycystic ovarian syndrome or not, yeah, yeah. and it's um, so I, I think this is a really important elephant in the room mm-hmm. that you're bringing to the table.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so so much of this is what are the what are the two to three most important things? Well, I think that comes from I, I answer from a place of two perspectives. One is from the perspective of the woman entering in wanting that desperately. And that there is an understanding that there's a vulnerability there that we need to address. Because that whether, that if we address it and we address it well, then she will have a generational impact on whether or not her child has a prevalency and an increased risk That's, of obesity. Yeah. So if we address it in this preconception time period, she is already changing the trajectory of her family's health because of the decisions that she made and just in the simple desire to want to be a mother. So just And can we language that that way so that she feels like she can do something about it? Yeah, I mean, yes, unequivocally. And in fact, we don't believe there's another way to do it. So I think entering into that space, the first is be willing and brave to assess the relationship that you have with yourself and how willing are you to think about this preventative component of your decisions. Um, Because prevention isn't sexy. (laughs) It's a hard sell. It's a hard sell, right? We are such a, and especially for, I'm an old millennial, right? But I still, I'm still a millennial. But so we, I fall into this category as like that instant, I want kind of instant mm-hmm. gratification. Mm-hmm. This concept of patience is a difficult one mm-hmm. because everything is so cause and effect right in your face, mm-hmm. right? Everything, our phones, our watches, our, our environment. Mm-hmm. Lends but isn't, to isn't
1: our job as clinicians to take what we think our patients most need? And to sell it to them. And language it. That's right. To language it. And by sell I mean the most sacred intention behind that. Exactly. So so really understanding, okay, this is what I think you most need. This yeah. is what needs to be addressed. That's right. And to to message it in a way that really shows our conviction,
2: but also gets their buy-in. Mm-hmm. Right. Because altered hormone metabolism doesn't just isn't just mediated by the fact that she was taking OCAs. It's also mediated by the fact that she has an altered body composition that changes the way her hormones communicate Absolutely. because of those increased inflammatory cytokine response from her adiposity, you
3: know. And so, to extend that one more arm, and that is, and how she feels about that—that's right—has a profound biochemical effect as well. That's huge. So that stress, stress component, recognition, and then response, and we find. As we talk about what we're going to do, what we're going to make in these recommendations, that stress is the unsung and unrecognized piece that can be easily modified and result in less preterm births and you know, smaller and larger babies. And, and this is this is so for.
1: crucial, and it's it's a piece that I never got in medical school, oh, and and it wasn't <laughs> until it wasn't until my 30s. That I realized, wow, I can think my way into high cortisol. I That's can think my way. Like my state of mind is a big driver of my insulin pathway, yes. insulin signal. Yeah. So I think this is such a crucial piece. Mm-hmm. So... Let me say one other quick thing, quoting your Instagram, Sure. (laughs) (laughs) because this is where I get so much of my science. So you had a study that that really got my attention. As we talk about things like altered insulin Mm -hmm. pathways and overweight and obesity, you had a study showing that a couple of strains of probiotics reduce the risk of gestational diabetes Mm by 34%. Mm -hmm. What? Right? So can <laughs> you explain pardon? this to
3: us? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Explain this. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I think, I think it's important to, to realize, too, that we w- science is starting to show us that it is no longer just the glycemic index of a food that determines how our body metabolizes proteins, fats, carbohydrates, specifically in that instance. That it is now we're starting to look at the oh, the microbiome might have a fairly large role in how we metabolize our glucose, right?
3: Right, exactly, Exactly. especially when you recognize that we have more cells of bacteria yeah, yeah. than we have cells of ourselves right. so who are we really and who are we talking to when we add these nutritional and stress modification you know interventions who are we talking to well I think it might be some of those lactobacilli you know mm-hmm. I think that those are the ones we're, we're speaking to and we have it also shows that that um Perhaps one of the reasons why we have some of these epidemics of obesity is such that our own lifestyles have produced these for us. A, a, bringing it back to the stress modification piece of it is that um, we know that the reproductive capabilities of bacteria are dramatically dropped if we just get a fright, if we just get frightened yes. by something. Mm-hmm. So we can see that reproduction drops by about 50% within about
1: three hours. That's so powerful. Let's let's get into some detail here because I, I think this is such an important point. You started this with glycemic index mm-hmm. of foods that mm-hmm. you know it's it's a much bigger conversation mm-hmm. than just what's the GI of of the food that you're eating. It's also the microbiome and you know the gut microbiome yeah. brain axis. Yeah. It's stress. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at the work of George Slavich at UCLA and and social genomics mm-hmm. and he was talking about how it's not. You know, we evolved this immune system to deal with physical injury. It Mm -hmm. evolved thousands and thousands of years ago. But it's not just physical injury that triggers the immune system. It's the threat of physical injury. Mm -hmm. The perception. The Mm -hmm. perception. And then I think about, you know, eating low glycemic index food. Mm -hmm. But 80% of Americans eat in their car. Mm -hmm. Right. And not sitting, you know, at some mountain... in Oregon. Right. Resting and digesting. Resting and, and digesting.
2: Space. Yeah. No, they're driving at yeah. high
1: speed on the freeway yeah. while they're eating a hamburger that's or, right. you know, even an apple. Yeah. And that's a setup for having this stress response while you're eating. Mm-hmm. It's a way of, you know, kind of um, decreasing the integrity of the gut lining. Mm-hmm. Creating dysbiosis. We know stress is a huge factor. Food and stress are the Number One and number two, when it mm-hmm. comes to disrupting the microbiome. Mm-hmm. So I think this entire piece is so important, and um, and we don't always realize the role of stress, especially when we're eating. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a crucial piece. So I'm going to go back to our woman mm-hmm. who's twenty seven, yep. and she is coming to us because she's thinking about having a baby in mm-hmm. three to six months. Mm-hmm. What do you want to tell her?
3: Mm. I know that I want to, ma- I want to um, set the stage by recognizing how, no matter where she starts, we start where she is. Mm-hmm. And then we imbue her with the knowledge that she has the power in her range to modify. She has the power, there's so many things that we can shift mm-hmm. and there are simple things, doable things, empowering things that she can do to shift. We recognize them in three different ranges, and we've just discussed. We look at those nutrient sufficiencies or deficiencies. We look at their genomics, you know, vulnerabilities, non-vulnerabilities, what are their strengths and vulnerabilities, and then this stress response. So for example, one of the simplest solutions if we're talking about this woman who's eating in the car, would be to, a simple solution would be to stop the car. You know, I mean, there's, Pull there's over to simple, a rest stop. <laughs> there's a simple solution for this whole. You know, they're, they're, and and that's what this. So to start with the, the knowledge, the expectation that these are all modifiable. We are not set in stone. Mm-hmm. We get to we get to take the reins
2: and go. And I think our job as as our responsibility as clinicians is to not just identify the problem. We have to provide some version of a solution, mm-hmm. even if that solution continues to change and is expounded upon. And so when, you know, in, in the setting where I have that woman sitting in front of me at 27 years old and, and she's asking, what can I possibly do? The first place that I always go to, which is in, in the core of her control, is her food. Mm-hmm. And so we do a complete assessment of top to bottom. What happens when you wake up? From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, what happens? How is stress a part of that? How is your job a part of that? Do you have children? How are you sleeping? Because we know that how we sleep will dictate how we eat, which will dictate how stressed we feel, which will then dictate how we eat, which will then dictate if we can sleep. So I think food and, and I can get down very specific into my specifics, but I think the biggest one is as Americans we do a poor job of eating colorful fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. So I think if I could start with the simplest thing, it's it's this concept of trying to eat a more diverse color palette. Because what we also know is that we can't just pick our favorite color. Like that question of what's your favorite color in kindergarten and right. we say purple. I can't just see broccoli. No, we have, to Seven think days a exactly. week. we have to think about how all these phytonutrients are communicating with one another inside of our bodies as well. And that's a very simple way of saying we have to diversify yes. because if we approach food, any intervention in this myopic way, we are going to miss the I mean, we're going to look at the grain of sand when there's a whole beach, yes. right? And so there has to be this concept of a simple—a simple application is color. So color what's the takeaway?
1: I tell people, I want you to eat five colors mm-hmm. every day. Aim for twenty to thirty species mm-hmm. over the course of a week. Mm-hmm. Try to rotate those five colors. Mm-hmm. So if you missed the orange yesterday, they try to get it, it right? in today.
2: Yeah, and I—I—I I, I bring it back down a little in a little less calculated manner. It's at least one food every day from each color. At one meal, then you can, if you can do it at one meal, then we try for the second meal. And then we try for the third meal, right? And so that you, by the end of it, you're eating a rainbow three times a day. What did you have for breakfast? This morning, eggs and spinach. Okay. (laughs) So hotels are amazing because they will bring you food. Um, But I have to say, my decision about eggs and spinach was dictated by how much time I gave myself to really actually look at the menu. Uh Right? And I knew they'd have spinach. It's like, just put spinach and eggs on a plate. I'll eat it. Spinach is a good backup (laughs) when you go to hotels.
1: (laughs) So let's talk about Omega 3s briefly. I saw on your Instagram Mm. that you had a Cochrane review from Mm. 2018 Mm. showing... um, I believe it was with omega-3s. It was. 10% reduction yes, in preterm yes, birth. Yes. Also
2: 10% reduction in small Pre- babies. babies. That's right. Unpack that for us. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to say two two things that that preterm birth often leads itself to a small for gestational age baby. And if we're looking at um, dramatic impact of both of those um, outcomes, they are the ones that have the longest reaching ranges for chronic disease risk as an adult, large residential age too, but those two seem to have a lot of correlation between disease trajectory. Um, I think what was so impressive to me and to us and what continues to be impressive, it is that in these simple interventions that there's profound effect. It doesn't look like... 30,000 decisions you have to make in one day. It looks like one decision that you get to make in one day. And I think that's the type of science I love finding, and that's the type of science we love finding and that we want to talk about the most, because it's, can you take your fatty acids today? Can you take your omega-3 supplementation today? Because did you get your omega-3s today? Yeah. And what's your dose? So I, t- I take a dose of 500 milligrams of DHA and 400 milligrams of EPA. Okay. hmm as a gram. But, I'm a
1: little more heavy-handed,
3: but okay. Well, however... It depends on what you're aiming at. Yeah. yeah. For example, That's if we're right. aiming at preterm birth, yes. we're aiming at about 600, 700, 700 milligrams. Of DHA. DHA predominantly. Yeah.
2: yeah. Wasn't and there also some EPA in that study? There is. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. There's EPA as well. And this KUDO study specifically was the one that we were going to speak to, is that that was done primarily with DHA.
3: mm mm-hmm. um, and it profa- in small amounts, 126 bucks per pregnancy,
2: basically mm-hmm. resulted
3: in a significant drop of, hugely significant drop in yeah. preterm. Money, birth. Very, well Money, very, Money well very well spent. Money very well spent. Money very well spent. And
2: they extrapolate it. that data over the preterm <clears throat> births that happened in the United States, and it was it's it's suspected projected that with just that small amount of supplementation, that we can decrease preterm birth um, costs by six billion dollars. Per
1: year. Okay, per
2: someone year, call know. the president <laughs> <know>.
1: because hey, <laughs> exactly. this needs to be part of our public health policy. Yes, exactly. This is so essential.
2: Yeah. And then, and then going back to that stress component, you can go to PubMed and you can type in uh, preterm birth, NICU stays, and paternal, maternal stress. And it's clear. The, the, the trigger of that event for those parents and then the dynamics in their communication, their sleep, their stress response to one another, and then how that, those energetics affect that experience is, is incredible. However, at the same time, then the flip side of that is skin-to-skin contact with that newborn baby changes that altered cortisol metabolism, decreases stress hormone response. Again, a simple intervention that is readily available. And the one we
3: like to... To talk about is in uh, in the second and third trimesters that regardless of the power of the stressor, people think of them as graded. You know, I I lose a spouse, or regardless of that level of stress that you might be experiencing, that person might be experiencing, simple touch, listening to music, um, movement make a profound reduction in cortisol response, and then what that does is it translates into a neonate who has a normal, die you know, two times a day, changes in their cortisol levels. If we don't intervene in, those, in that early time period, they lose that. And we can predict that those babies are the ones who are going to go on to be anxious, depressed adults. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we put those simple, simple, doable interventions in, we reverse it. We stop it right
1: there. Yeah. these are interventions that create resilience. That's exactly. And right. I think what's so powerful is that you're not saying, "Okay, let's have the baby do a ninety minute yoga class." No. We're saying, "You know, just a no. little <laughs> skin
2: on skin time <laughs> yeah, exactly. is going to help with the hypothalamic <laughs> pituitary, <laughs> adrenal pituitary adrenal axis." Accident. Fifteen minutes a day. Yeah. And Sarah, I know how much your love and profound respect for yoga and your practice is there. I mean, don't even get us started on yoga practice. I mean, it's single sessions in pregnancy decreasing That's right. stress. They're doable. To single single they sessions. Doable. It's a powerful tool. Not 12-week yeah. programs. Right. One time. I think this is a resounding message that just needs to be yelled from the rooftops. This is how quickly can you affect your yes. child's health? 15 minutes. One five. How quickly can you turn on and off the genes that promote inflammation or decrease inflammation? Six hours of anything you eat. So Mm -hmm. both
1: of you gave talks, and I I still remember the slide where Mm -hmm. you talked about how food can change the expression of your genes Mm -hmm. inside of six hours. Mm
2: -hmm. And
3: that example was given with? Essential fats, yep. as an example, yeah. in comparing it to those that are non-essential, the, the saturated fats. And that was, the the, the enzymes changed within six, six hours. hours.
2: Yeah, in six, so, six hours, people. Right. Well, so right. that's
3: a doable thing, isn't it? That doesn't it does. mean that you get to ding yourself and wallow in guilt. It's because, oh no, I can now, I can now... I can do something about this. If I've done something six hours ago, I can rectify it
2: in another six hours. Right, so this concept of cheating or falling off the wagon or like blowing it, it's just that flies out the window. It goes, dust yourself up, stand back up, try again. Because here we go. Because your body is ready to and try willing, again. And
3: yeah. willing, and willing, yeah. That is the, that's the piece, is that yeah. you know you ask, what do we do? You know, what do we recommend? Well, I think the, the first recommendation and recommend, recognition is, is that we try to find people where they are. And then we ask them to do one thing. We don't tell them what not to do. Mm. We ask them to do one thing. And with that one thing, their eyes will be open to the next one thing. They'll be empowered to do the next one thing. And these are additive. It turns out because of data like that, Mm. we know that it's not so much those negatives, it's the empowerment of the good things that you're doing.
2: Do you want to talk about the mouse study where they? The raspberry. To, yep, study. the raspberry. <laughs> I'm going to call it the raspberry. It is. It should be called the, the raspberry. raspberry study. a study it comes out of OSU,
3: at Oregon State University, and what they did is they fed mice. I like we're not mice, but mice high glycemic index foods. Mm-hmm. Same diet, two sets of two sets of mice. They fed red ripe strawberry, or Rasm- raspberries. raspberries, you know, to to one group. And they had distinctly different insulin responses just by putting in the raspberries, this even is, with so
1: the high glycemic diet. Such a simple intervention. Mm-hmm. The addition of raspberries, the mm-hmm. addition of a phytonutrient mm-hmm. that's going to change these signaling pathways. That's mm-hmm. exactly it. So I love how this is you know, kind of a, a simple way in. Mm-hmm. The other... You know, I I just want to honor you, Leslie, because part of the subtext that I hear with meeting people where they are, getting so clear about what the interventions are, it's not a list of 17 things that you want people to do. It's let's start where it makes the most sense for you where you're gonna feel success, and then maybe once you have the success with adding the raspberries and adding the omega-3s, we then could go on to another three things. Mm -hmm. So I I just wanna make sure I honor you for that. So let's finish with the four birth phenotypes. And maybe first, what is a phenotype? How is it different than a genotype?
3: So this gets us back to, um, I think, what drove us um, to begin with, and that is this the frightening changes in our health status as adults all the way through and so we realized that these were integrally embedded in the outcomes of our babies the how how are they doing are they too big are they too small are they too early are they too stressed and so what's a phenotype It's the expression, it's the result of all these different variables, and it's what you look like at the end of all those variables. Mm -hmm. And so if you end up too big, that's the phenotype. It turns out that those four birth phenotypes are the ones that predict our resiliency Mm -hmm. or our disease. And the reason why we focus on those is they are also modifiable, right? There's something we can do about all of those. The other two places that we focus are on two maternal expressions, um, hypertension in pregnancy and diabetes in pregnancy, because those inform whether that baby is more or less likely to be too big or too small Mm -hmm. or too early or too stressed. Mm -hmm. So it really is on it's the impact on those four outcomes those neonatal outcomes
1: so let's define those super briefly and we'll put more into the show notes so too small is less than 2,500 grams
3: that's exactly right Mm -hmm. or another definition of that would be 10th percentile of your of your ethnic group so too small would be the lowest 10th percentile
1: too big greater than 4,000
3: that's right Mm -hmm. or the top 10th
1: percentile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the extremes. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a spectrum, right? It's not like an on-off switch no, that no, happens no, at no, no, no. 2,501 grams, That's right? That's
3: exactly right. right. And it certainly depends on that ethnicity piece of it, that the within the family sorts of things. There's such a thing as a constitutionally large baby or a constitutionally small baby too. Meaning, you know, your parents were this big and so why wouldn't your baby be this
2: big too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. so. The phenotype that we've kind of coined or, or tried, tried to encapsulate the best is this concept of a stress dysregulation phenotype, which is not, I mean, people go, what, what are you talking about? No, sort of coined <laughs> and that so term, we, we've, it's true. Yeah, and so what we mean to say is we need to take into account the story of the mother's stress response and whether that lends itself toward anxiety, depression. We take into account her backstory of her ACEs score, mm-hmm. because what we now know is 60% of the United States have an ACEs score that is high. Yes, Mm -hmm. four or higher. Right? Yes, that's right. That's right.
1: So, okay, so you can define this dysregulated stress phenotype with Mm -hmm. ACEs. Mm -hmm. How else do you define it?
2: Do you measure cortisol levels? Do you look at heart rate variability? So, no, we don't measure cortisol levels. However, we have the capacity with plethismography to to measure heart rate variability, Um, and we do use that on some of our. Our pregnant women, we go mainly into a space of symptoms. Mm-hmm. We, we definitely go into into complications, challenges with their mood. So mood disruption is a big part of what we measure. And you know whether or not you can measure mood disruption is a conversation. Right. That's right. That's yeah, right. We scales. can mood mood scales, so on and so forth. And then we have then we actively engage that stress response in that mom and try to figure out how we can mediate that whether that is through lifestyle intervention, whether that is through more intense intervention, such as, you know, counseling, or, or, or we, need, we looked for the resources that best suit that mother in her environment at that time. Yeah. Because, again, going back to the laundry list of don't, you know, giving somebody 20 things to do is, is asking them to fail.
1: Yeah,
2: it's defeating. That's, That's right. right. That's right. So
1: final messages
2: of empowerment
1: or hope. Mm. what's the one thing you want our listener to go away with?
3: It's that that hope is our most powerful piece of this. If I can leave people with that idea that we used to say, oh, you're stuck where you are, Mm. the answer is that is entirely wrong, entirely wrong. We couldn't be more powerful in being able to influence this. And the most powerful time for us to influence it is before we get to that, before we get to reproduction. Mm. And so it has the benefits of, yes, ending up with great babies, great, wonderful <laughs> human <laughs> beings. I agree. <laughs> but it also means that your health is impacted. Mm-hmm. And and everyone around you is an example. And so it is, it, it is a feed-forward process that couldn't be better that starts with doability. Mm. And so that is where I would like to come home, is that this is doable. Yeah. It is innately doable for all people, and so to get, we just don't want to get too complicated about it because we don't need to. The power is in that just one thing.
2: Yeah, and I think in order to create that change, a a, a core principle of how we have arrived at this point is to say, you know, health is so much more about what you add than what you take away. Yes. And so this concept of loss because I can't have something or can't do that, we, we just don't even enter that space and we go, here's something you can do. And that is actually truly how we approach an addictive behavior. Okay, so we don't take away the addiction. We say, what else can we do to empower you, make you feel better, so that you can imagine maybe feeling better. So then you, you can you let did. go right. of that addiction. Yeah. 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 That's exactly and so right. So it is so much more about what is added to your life than what is taken away. That's right. And that that my my encouragement and challenge is always to look for the quality of the food. Going into your mouth, the quality of the relationships, the quality of the sleep, rather than the quantity. We have become skewed in our society and how that conversation impacts us. That it must rest in this quality space more than the quantity
3: component. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, So. our quote, I think, that we go to all the time is start where we are, do what we can, and keep keep doing doing it.
1: Leslie and Emily, I want to thank you for being with me today. I I can tell you that I feel the benevolence of the work that you do in the world. I think it's so impactful and so important. And I really want to make sure we get this message out. I also can just, I can feel my epigenome is upgraded by being with you. So So thank you. We are honored. We We are
2: honored to be able to even sit here and talk about this. Um, you know i was i, I was describing it is it, it is of the utmost delight that i even get to open my mouth to talk about this
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. so thank it's you
2: yeah so thank you
0: thank you for being with us for this episode of the practice you'll find extensive show notes including links and supportive materials over at thepracticepodcast.tv while you're there, explore other topics and use the ask and answer button to ask your burning questions and give your insights about the topic. After all, the future of medicine lies in dialogue, not dogma. Let's transform medicine together by connecting on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find all the links at thepracticepodcast.tv. This podcast, including any related materials such as show notes, links, and supportive materials, is provided by Metagenics Institute, the educational arm of Metagenics, Inc., for general informational and educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute medical advice and should not be considered a substitute for discussions between individuals and their healthcare providers. This podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship and should not be considered a substitute for the independent professional judgment of any physician or healthcare professional regarding the appropriate course of action for a particular patient or individual. Metagenics does not make any guarantees regarding the accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of this podcast for any particular purpose. Listeners may use this podcast at their own risk, and patients should not disregard or delay seeking advice from their healthcare providers based on the content of this podcast. Participation through the Ask and Answer button is optional, and no participant should feel obligated to provide personal details, including about any diagnosis, symptoms, or other health-related information. Neither Metagenics Institute nor any of its affiliates seek this information and it is not necessary to participate in the dialogue regarding this podcast. The podcast presenters' views are entirely their own and do not represent the views of Metagenics Institute, Metagenics, or any of its research partners and collaborators collectively referred to as affiliates. Metagenics Institute and its affiliates do not endorse or recommend any specific healthcare providers, products, or other items or services that may be discussed or mentioned in this podcast. Podcast participants may receive compensation from Metagenics Institute and or its affiliates. Listening to this podcast does not obligate you to purchase, use, recommend, or prescribe any Metagenics or Metagenics Institute products or services, including their educational materials. Metagenics products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Unless approved by Metagenics Institute, this podcast must be used only for personal, non-commercial purposes. This podcast has no independent economic value and is intended to comply with all applicable laws. It may be rescinded, revoked, or amended at any time without notice. Listeners who are patients should talk to their healthcare providers if they have any questions regarding the content discussed in this podcast. Listeners who are healthcare professionals may obtain more information by visiting metagenicsinstitute.com, calling 888-690-8500, or emailing meded at metagenicsinstitute.com.